God, you are the God of the resurrection, the God of the impossible and the God of power. And you're the God of light. And we come to meet with you now. So Father, whatever else is clamoring for our attention, we pray for just these next few minutes that you would allow us to center our attention on you. That we would hear your voice through your word. That you'd meet with us here. God, we've come to praise. That's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, church, have a seat. Hey, it's good to be with you today. Have you ever wandered through your house, ever walked through your house in the dark? Yeah, of course you have. We all have, right? We've tried to get from one spot to another in the dark, and that usually goes okay, right? Until that moment where you notice that something's out of place, you stumble over the laundry basket, you bump into the book bag that the kid left out, you find, like discover barefoot that toy that was left out by one of the children. Nothing worse than stepping on a Lego barefoot in the dark, right? It's just terrible, right? Like that is the threshold of hell right there. So, you know, and then, and then there's those moments where you discover like the furniture isn't quite where you thought it would be. It's, it's just a little bit different than where you thought in the light. And, and you discover in that moment why God gave us pinky toes, that highly sensitive early warning system that shoots pain all over the body to let you know that something's in your way. Ah, oh, just brutal. Like, like a little while back when one of my children who told me I could share this story if I didn't say which one of my kids it is. So I'll let you guess which child would do this. But one of my kids decided that when the lights were totally out in said child's room, they were going to dive into their bed. So they got a running start. They dove for the bed, but they misjudged where the mattress was and the footboard and landed squarely on the footboard to the bed. Good news is I made that bed and it is holding up. But uh, bad news is they had this massive bruise down the side of their body for the next several days because they landed on the footboard instead of the mattress. Or kind of like the other day when my alarm went off or I woke up, sorry, I woke up before my alarm went off. Anybody have that experience? Like, is that not one of the most annoying things in the world when you wake up before you've chosen to wake up? So I woke up, it's mid-morning, like early, early morning, right? Like middle of the night kind of morning. And I had to go potty. So I decided I didn't want to wake Jen up, so I'm not going to turn the lights on. So I navigate my way to the bathroom in the dark. Should be okay, right? Should be fine to do. Except halfway there, I noticed like I had forgotten to put the ironing board away the night before. So I bump into the ironing board, which has metal legs, which shriek. And I may have shrieked a bit with it, right? So I make my way around the ironing board to try and get where I'm going. And then... I had also forgotten that I'd left the vacuum out because I did a little bit of vacuum. Normally, put these things away. I didn't put them away the night before. Don't know why, um, but it makes a good illustration. So I walk into the vacuum cleaner and discover with my foot, quite forcefully, that that's in the way. It makes noise. I make noise, mm, right? So I make my way, finally go to the bathroom, in there, do my, you know, go potty. And then I'm making my way back. And I think, all right. I've got this. The return trip is fine. I, I can navigate this unintentional obstacle course I had set for myself the night before. I know where the booby traps are now. So I make my way around the vacuum cleaner. I make my way around the ironing board. But the problem was, in having to navigate around those obstacles, it threw off my precise calculations for the exact number of steps I would need to get back to the door. So I walk straight into the door. 
with force, loudly. So then making my way through the doorway, hoping against all odds that Jan is still somehow asleep, I decide I'm still going to sneak back into the bed. Problem is, I miscalculate again because I'm like disoriented from hitting everything in the house up to this point, and I bump into, bump into, I hit pretty hard my dresser, causing me to stumble and fall onto the bed. At that point, pretending that there's nothing wrong and everything is as it should be, I sneak back under the covers, hoping against all odds Jen is still asleep, at which time I hear What in the world is going on? So I whispered to her, well, I had to go potty. So I thought I'd sneak through the house in the dark because I didn't want to wake you up. I'll spare you the conversation that followed, but mission failed. Friends, we are not nocturnal creatures. We are not made to wander in the dark. In fact, we need light, because without light, it's easy to stumble. Not just it's easy to stumble, we will stumble. When there's no light, we stumble, we trip on things. And that's just the way it is. We are designed to navigate with light. About 100 years ago, scientist Issa Schaefer did an experiment. He took one of his buddies to the edge of a field, and he said, hey, man, I've got an experiment on what you do. I'm going to have you walk a straight line from this side of the field to the other side of the field. Seems simple enough. Okay. But I want you to do it blindfolded. So he blindfolds his friend, sends him across the field. This guy's supposed to be walking in a straight line. Here is his friend's course. Circle, 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 stump. Oof. Doesn't make it. Not too long after that, this experiment gets repeated by three guys who were staying in a barn. And these guys in the barn say, all right, there's a point, straight line, a half mile away. And there's really dense fog, dense fog? dense fog. There's really dense fog and almost no light. So they decide to trek through this dense, dark fog to this obstacle a half mile away. This is their journey. Circle, 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 back at the barn. What? Like we keep practicing this. We keep trying this, right? Another guy decides, all right, I'm going to try this experiment with my friend, but this time I'm going to have him swim from one side of the lake to the other, blindfolded. Because that's a good friend. <laughs> like, let's swim blindfolded. Now, they had a little rowboat beside him to make sure he wasn't going to drown. But still, like, swimming blindfolded, I don't recommend that. That is not, all right. So here's where he goes. Never does make it to the other side. In fact, he, like, swims back beyond where the, it's crazy. And at the end, he's, like, churning water. They just pull him out of the water and put him in the boat. We've tried this experiment with thousands of people Hundreds of times over the last hundred years. He even one time put a guy behind the wheel of a car and said, we want you to drive from this side of the field to the other. Now, before you freak out like this blindfolded guy driving, he's in Kansas. It's okay because there's nothing to hit there. So they sent him across his field in Kansas. And this is his very circuitous journey. Driving blindfolded. Every time they try this, every time, you will know how many times it succeeded? Zero. This is what scientists have discovered over the last hundred years of trying this experiment thousands of times, is that when we wander in the dark, we'll never get where we intend to go. That if there's no light, whether the light is gone because it's actually dark outside or because we have covered that person's eyes with a blindfold, If the darkness is true or created, if we're in the dark, we don't get where we intend to go. When there's no light, we can't see the path. 
And zero times out of every time, we miss it. They're still trying these experiments, high-tech experiments with GPS devices and things like that. And this still holds true. Now, this isn't surprising for us because we know that this just confirms what we have known since the beginning of time. That this experiment with our physical bodies only demonstrates what we have known to be true relationally and spiritually since the first people. Without light, we wander. Without light, we wander. Proverbs says this. The way of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn. I am regularly up at the break of dawn. I get to see the sun burst forth over the eastern horizon. It's beautiful. And then it continues to shine ever brighter until the full light of day. If you've ever gone out at midday and the sun is shining and it's bright overhead, that's what the writer of Proverbs is getting at. That that's the way our righteousness is. It shines out. But the way of the wicked is like total darkness. And those who wander in the dark, they don't even know what they stumble over. They keep stumbling over things, but they don't even know what it is because they just keep tripping over things they can't even see because they have no light to shine their path. Now, the Bible continues to draw this distinction between light and dark, light being good and righteousness, dark being wickedness and evil. And in this series, we're exploring what it looks like when God says that he is light. And today, we're going to take a look at one of the ways God reveals his light to us, and that's through his word, the Bible. David, the psalmist, wrote several psalms addressing this, but one of his most famous lines is in Psalm 119. Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. Now, when you came in today, you received a flashlight from us, for those of you here online, or those of you here in the building. Sorry, those of you online, already get it to you. So hopefully we'll see you soon. If not, let us know, we'll mail it. So you got this flashlight when you came in today. Now, back in those days, they didn't have flashlights they had lamps, and they would walk with the lamp, and that would shine light on the ground. It says that's what God's word is. It illumines our path. It shows us where to go. It shows us what to watch out for, what to stumble over. It says the unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. And I'll just confess, I'm simple enough that I need that light in my life all the time. Now, David, the psalmist here, is writing in Psalm 119, which happens to be the longest chapter in the Bible by far, but it's well worth the read. And in this chapter, in this psalm, he says that God's word is so beautiful. This is a beautiful, poetic description of his desire for God's word to have the primary place in his life, his need for God's word and how beautiful God's word is. And many scholars believe that David didn't just sit down and write this in one time, but that David continued to add to the psalm throughout the course of his life, beginning as a young man and finishing as an old man. Parts of that psalm show up in line with different seasons of David's life. So he wrote this psalm throughout the course of his life. But at one point early on, he says this. It says, praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips, I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and I consider your ways. I delight in your decrees and I will not neglect your word. Great peace have those who love your law and nothing can make them stumble. Nothing will make them stumble because they see what's in their path. Now, throughout this psalm, which is simply a, a 
poetic, lyrical praise. It's a prayer to God. It's a song written to God. Throughout this psalm, David says to God, I long for your voice, I thirst for your law, I hunger for your precepts, I ache for your wisdom, I pursue your truth, I meditate on all your words, I delight in your instruction, I rejoice in your decrees, I celebrate your commands. Again and again and again, He is highlighting these things. He says of God's word that it is more precious than the finest jewels, it's better than the choicest foods, it's greater than the most lavish pleasures. And why does David say this of God's word? Because he knows God's word is the path to life. He asked this question early on in the psalm. He says, how can a young person stay on the pure path? How can they stay on the prescribed path that you have for us, God, and not wander off into the dangerous and deadly dark paths for us? How can we stay on the straight and narrow? Well, we stay there by living according to your word. He says, God, I seek you with all of my heart. Don't let me stray from your commands. David knows what it is to stray away from God. He says, I don't want to do that. Don't let me stray. And to keep me from straying, I have hidden your word in my heart so that I might not stray from you, so that I might not sin against you. He says, I want to stay in your past. Now, this is David who knew what it was to stray from God's path. This is David who understood his own tendency towards darkness, his own propensity for sin, He knew that sin was always tugging at him, trying to pull him onto a different path, trying to knock him off the straight and narrow. Now, if you're not as familiar with the Bible, you you probably have heard stories, so just in the cultural concept of who this David guy is. This is David who was famous for slaying the giant Goliath. This is David who was a young shepherd boy who guarded his sheep with a slingshot and a stick. And with that slingshot and stick at different times, he took down bears and lions. This is David, who who was the poet lyricist, writing psalms and songs and prayers to God. This was David who was anointed king over God's people Israel. This was David, the man after God's own heart. But this was also David, the messy man. This was David who also had a leaning towards laziness, a leaning towards pleasure and comfort instead of living on mission. This is David who when his army was out to war and he should have been with him, he stayed back. This is David that when they were out to war, he was peeping in on a general's wife. This is David who then coerced that wife to come and be with him and do the dirty. This is David who then when he found out that she was pregnant, orchestrated this elaborate plan to have Bathsheba, the woman, her husband, Uriah, killed. This is David who hid and tried to cover it up. This is David who was so angry at injustice, but so blind to his own injustice in his life. This is David, a pretty messy dude. So why does David, who was at times such a mess up God, why does he hold God's word in such high regard, esteeming it so? I mean, it seems a bit contradictory that David is this messed up dude. He says, God, I want your word to lead me on. Well, why this David? I mean, David the adulterer, David the murderer, David the liar, David the punk? And this David is gonna be the spokesperson for why God's word is so awesome? Really? Precisely, because he gets it. Because he knows what it looks like when the lights go out. He knows what that path looks like, the path of darkness that leads to destruction and sometimes even death. Spiritual, 
relational, emotional, even physical destruction and death. This is David who knows that there's a constant draw to his own sin. This is David who knows that if he takes a break from God's word, by the end of the day, he will be broken. This is David who knows his need for God's word. And friends, I'm no different. I'm no better. I'm a thousand times worse than David. And that might shock you a little bit to hear the preacher say it, but I I just want you to know, like, there's not a day that goes by when I don't come face to face with my own leaning towards sin, with, with my own annoyingly high propensity to choose the things of darkness instead of light. There's not a day that goes by when I don't feel the tug of my own soul and my own heart that my natural tendency is to lean towards the darkness, to lean towards unrighteousness, not to lean towards God. There's not a day that goes by that I don't feel that. There's not a day that goes by that I'm not fully aware of my annoyingly, aggravatingly high propensity towards sin, towards things like greed and envy and anger and lust and insecurity and insensitivity and anxiety and impatience and apathy and complacency and hatred and bitterness and pride. And I'm just scratching the surface. I'll spare you from the rest. Like I know, just like David, that I need God's word. Otherwise, I get way off the path. And it gets really dark over there. Like I know, like David, that when I wander away, when I don't have the lights on the path, that I wander, and when I wander, I wreck. And I don't just wreck myself, but I wreck into others. And you want to know what gives me the confidence that I can share that with you? That the confidence I can speak this to a couple different services. There's some of you I know really well, and some of you I barely know at all. And there's people joining us. There could be some joker on the other side of the world listening to this. I hope there is. Oh, glad you're with us. But why do I have the confidence that I can share this really dark side of myself? Because I know that you have just this dark side of yourself too. Because I know that just like David and just like me, you have an aggravatingly high desire for darkness. It's part of being human. And as much as we want to lean against that, as much as we hate that, we got to own that that part is true. And we need the light of God's word to lead us so we don't wander off into those dark and dangerous and destructive places. Like you know, I know, we all know that we each have a besetting sin. We each lean towards the things that we'd rather not be leaning towards. We each desire for sin in some way. And and sure, your sin list might look different than mine. Your indulgence would look different than mine, but there's enough commonality that we all share these pieces and we all lean towards the wrong things and we all need the light. And we all know that when we wander away from that, when the lights go off, we wreck. And we wreck into others. When I was in high school, I was sitting shotgun in my buddy's car. It had rained a little bit earlier in the night. It was dry at that time, but the roads were still a little wet. And there was light from the, the street lamps glistening off the streets. And my buddy turned off the lights in his car as he drove through this neighborhood. Don't know why I did it. And so he gets pulled over by a police officer who was sitting on one of the side streets. When the officer came up to my buddy and asked him, son, why, why are you driving without your lights on? My friend's response was, well, I thought I could see well enough without him. To which the officer replied, well, son, you couldn't see well enough to see me now, could you? 
<laughs> and then he wrote him a ticket. And I just sat there, <laughs> learning to keep my mouth shut and try and withhold the grin. Listen, friend, we need light. And even a little bit of light is helpful. But why would we settle for just a little bit? When you came in today, you received a flashlight. Uh, you go ahead and get that flashlight out. And don't turn them on just yet. But you, you know what it is. Like if, if, if I'm somewhere and I'm wandering and I need the, a flashlight, if you've ever gone into the woods at night with a flashlight, you know it illumines your path and you can see the trail, but you don't see everything lurking off to the side. There might be animals, there might be other things nearby. You have these other things, right? Like you, you're looking at the path, but you don't see the, the light or you don't see the limb that's like head high. So you're walking, looking down and whack, you know, you hit your head. A little bit of light illumines the path, but it's just not quite enough. Like we need more than just a little light. So, so if the light you have you can go ahead and shine those up at the ceiling. You can shine them out at the walls. You shine it down at the floor. Just don't shine it into anyone's eyes because those things are bright. Like flashlights have come a long way since I was a kid. But if each one of these lights represents a verse or even a passage from God's word, I mean, look, we, we have a whole lot more light in the room now. But we know that's just a, a portion of scripture. If the light's in this room... The, the house lights in this room represent more of God's word. I mean, think of what that does when, when we have more light of God's word shining upon us, right? Like it illumines things. It's tough to look at. But we know that that still can't even compete with the light that's outside. You walk outside today, the sun is shining. I hope the sun's shining. I'm really looking forward to the sun being shining. And that sun is shining up ahead. And you know, you walk out, it's like, wow, that's bright. You know, you got to put on the sunglasses. That is the power of God's word, full and complete God's word shining on our path. Because here's what we know. The more scripture that we are familiar with, the brighter the path gets. The more that we are in tune with God's word, the more we understand his word, the more we've immersed ourselves in his word, the more we've made it our priority. And we understand more and more and more. We keep coming back to it. The brighter the path gets and the less we stumble. And we need that. We need that. So instead of just settling for a little bit of light, we need the entirety of Scripture. We need all of God's Word to guide us and enlighten us. We need to become so familiar with His Word that we, we have all of it at our disposal. Because if we only get little bits and pieces, if we only understand forgiveness, but we know nothing of obedience, if we only understand God's kindness, but know nothing of his holiness, if we're in the light on love, but we're in the dark on truth, we're still gonna wander, we're still gonna stumble. We don't have the amount of light we need. We need all the light. See, friend, if, if you've ever wondered, well, how much is enough? How, how much light is enough light? I, I have just enough of God's word in my life. I, I'm, I'm kind of familiar with it. If, if that's you, we're asking the wrong question. If we don't make it a priority, if we don't immerse ourselves, if we're not continually coming back to it and studying it, we'll miss what he has for us. If we settle for just enough light, you know what that means? That means we choose to stay mostly in the dark. Just enough light means mostly in the dark, and that is a dangerous, dangerous place to be. Like we need God's light on us. This was Paul's concern when he was writing to the believers at the church in Corinth during the first century. He said, Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. That is terrifying. 
that here we are talking of like God reveals himself as light, God is light, and then the enemy says, oh, I'm gonna come in and I'm gonna disguise myself as light. How are we supposed to tell the difference? Well, let me tell you this. That's like a cheap neon light compared to the sun, right? Like the enemy just can't compare. But if we're not familiar with the true light, it's easy to be misled, misguided. Paul goes on and says, it's no surprise then that Satan's servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness, and they'll get what they deserve in the end. But up until then, they're trying to lead us astray, confuse us and misguide us. Friend, if you are content to settle for coffee mug Christianity, just one little verse here and there, a cute little happy verse on your coffee mug, maybe a nice verse in a pretty little frame on the wall, sharing a little verse here and there on social media, you'll be mostly in the dark. And that's a bad place to be. We need more than just those pithy little statements that are so often taken out of context. We need to understand God's word, to let it get into our souls and let it shape us and transform us and lead us and enlighten us. So often people will talk about being enlightened, that a wise person is so enlightened. And here's the truth of being enlightened. It means you walk in the light of God's word. That's the kind of enlightenment you need and that's the kind of enlightenment we want. So that's what we want to pursue. From one of the things that scares me is that the primary tactic of so many false religions and cults these days they prey on people who have just a little light. Groups like the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons, their tactic is to pursue people who go to church sometimes, are kind of familiar with the Bible, and are interested in spiritual things. And then they want to introduce the, the next part of God's word, the, the next thing. And they want to add to it and twist it and they present as righteousness and light. Well, let me just tell you, God's word will never contradict itself and God will never contradict his word. Genesis to Revelation is the word of God. And anything beyond that, there are books by good Christian authors and theologians, so if that might be supplemental, but it's never a replacement. And, and any other religious group that tries to add onto that, tacking extra books onto it, they're wrong. It's not, it's just not there. God will never lead you to a different kind of faith in anyone but Jesus. God will never lead you to any religion, to any faith that is anything other than his grace available through your faith, through Jesus Christ only. That's the message of the cross, is that God's grace is available to you through Jesus Christ when you put your faith in him. And any other light that would shine against that is false. Now, if you are newer and newer to the Bible, this isn't to judge you. This isn't to, to beat you down. That's, that's not our goal. That's never our goal. We never want to beat people down. We never want to judge. Our goal is always to build you up, to build you up in faith in Jesus Christ, to build you up in righteousness, to build you up in holiness, to build you up in relationship with God and one another. But it's also to do that we want to help guard you. 
Like the oldest tactic of the enemy, of Satan, is to come in and twist God's word to get somebody to think that it says something it doesn't say. I mean, that's the first thing he did. God said, don't eat the tree on the fruit. Or don't, don't eat the tree on the fruit. That's, he, it's like, let's not do that either. But don't eat the fruit on the tree. There's just that one tree, one thing. Stay away from that. What does Satan do? He comes up, did God really say that? He just wants to twist. Just want to shine a little different false light into it. So we got to guard ourselves against that. And the way we guard ourselves against that is by immersing ourselves in the totality of God's word from beginning to end and being familiar with what it actually says and what it means and allowing it to transform us, to shape us, applying it to our lives. Now listen, if you are new or newer to this, this is not a condemnation on you for not knowing enough. Listen, everybody starts somewhere. This is just spiritual training, right? This is like spiritual weight training to build your faith muscles, to build your, your knowledge of Christ. Everybody, the first time you go to the weight room, you start somewhere. I lift a whole lot more now. I run a whole lot. For, well, I don't run as fast as I once did because I'm getting older. But I lift more now than I did when I first went to the weight room as a kid. I'm a whole lot stronger. Those muscles have been built. But I still got a ways to go. I'm still training them. Same thing true spiritually as it is physically. We're just building our faith muscles. And so everybody starts somewhere. No shame wherever you start Just don't stay there. Start somewhere and keep moving forward. Don't stay there. Listen, if you have a phone, you have access to one of the best resources that the church has ever been gifted. It's called the YouVersion Bible app. It has dozens of different translations of God's word so you can read it in a way that is easy for you to comprehend and understand and easy for you to read. And this is a free app that you can download on your phone and your computer. It also has great videos to help you understand what God's word means. It has great reading plans and resources for you. You can share it with friends. You can do this in partnership with other people in the church, in your small group, other friends from other places. If you have a phone, you have access to God's word all the time. So I know you take your phone everywhere you go. You're an American. That's what we do. And I want to encourage you during this season, as we are nearing Easter, if you're looking for a place to start, you're not used to getting into God's word, I'm gonna encourage you to begin with the Gospel of Mark. Shorter Gospel, 16 chapters, moves pretty quick, and here's the deal. 16 chapters, 15 days from now until Easter Sunday. I know, the math doesn't work out quite right. But if you read just one chapter a day, and then one day you get like super strength and double up, you will end with the resurrection of Jesus on Resurrection Sunday. And I'm convinced that that will be a powerful transformative experience for you. Walk through the progression of Jesus' ministry in his life leading up to the cross and beyond. So I'm gonna encourage you to do that. And I know some people will say, well, I just don't have time. I just, I'm not very good with the Bible. I don't know that much about it. I'm not a Bible scholar. But then I hear those people tell me how many times they've gone golfing or fishing or how much time they spend gaming or they Tell me all the gossip they've heard from their particular flavor of news channel or from the Hollywood scene, from social media, from the internet, what movies they've watched. What I've come to learn over the years is it's not that we don't have time to read God's word, it's that we won't make time to put ourselves in God's word. It's almost always about choice, not about circumstances. And so I'm gonna, just wanna encourage you, make the choice to begin. Friend, if someone observed an average day in your life, how would they see you spend your time? How much of your time 
would be spent on podcasts and hobbies and YouTube and Facebook and TV and Netflix and housework and worry. How much of your time would be spent in God's word? Because here's what I'm getting at. I think you can read the Bible in less time than what you might think. Back in August of 2018, the Christian publishing company Lifeway, not Lifeway, um, Crossway, too many of those different publishing companies, but the Christian publishing company Crossway surveyed 11,000 readers. And they asked them how much time they spent on average doing the things that I just mentioned to you. And then they compared that to the average amount of time it takes for somebody to read different books of the Bible. Now, I'll be honest, I'm a really slow reader. It takes me a while to read through stuff. But even their numbers work out pretty close for me. And here's some of what they discovered. For some of the shortest books of the Bible, you can read it in five minutes or less. For most of the shorter books of the Bible, 30 minutes or less, you can read an entire book of the Bible. Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians. You read through that. Way under 30 minutes for those. That's the average time of a TV show. And you can read a significant portion of God's word. For the longer books of the Bible, it's like the Gospel of Matthew, the book of Deuteronomy. You can read that in the average time it takes to watch a movie. Hour and a half, two hours, you'll read through a significant portion of God's word. And we'll make this study available to you online tomorrow. We'll include it in our, in our email. We'll include it in our social media so that you can see this infographic of how long it takes to read certain portions of God's word. Here's the reality. That if you give just 12 minutes a day to read the Bible, you'll read the entire Bible in a year. 12 minutes a day, you can read the entirety of God's word in a year. 25 minutes a day, you'll read the entire Bible in less than six months. It takes less time than you might think. So friend, at this time of year, a lot of times that during the Lenten season, we are, uh, the people, uh, Christians across the world and throughout history have used this season leading up to Easter as a time to think about sacrifice, to think about the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. And so giving things up, fasting from things, trading something to say, man, I'm, I'm just going to trade some time on this to spend it more with God. So I'm going to encourage you, during the next couple of weeks as we move towards Easter, trade just 15 minutes a day. Trade 15 minutes of digital time, TV time, housework time. I give you permission. Let some stuff go. The laundry will be there still. You'll be fine. Trade 15 minutes of hobby time and replace it with 15 minutes in God's word. Here's what I know, here's what I'm convinced of. You do that, it'll change your life. You get just 15 minutes of chair time with God every day in his word. And I don't mean just read it and check a box. I mean read it and then see, God, what do you have for me here? How would you have me apply this? And fair, fair assessment. Some parts of the Bible, a little bit more difficult to know what to do with, a little bit more difficult to understand. Some of the prophecy, you're like, hmm, what am I supposed to do with that today? Praise God. <laughs> You you read through Leviticus and you come to mold. God, what am I supposed to do about the mold? Should I go clean my shower? Is that what you're telling me to do? Maybe, I don't know. Maybe it's just metaphorical and there's like a moldy area of your soul that needs to be bleached out by the love of Jesus. There's a really cheesy metaphor for you, but that one's free. It's on the house, right? I don't know. Whatever God is going to do, but read it, apply it. Let it wash over you. Let it change you. You do that, it'll change your life. What God's word says about money will transform 
how you handle money. What it says about relationships will transform your relationships. It'll transform how you deal with conflict. It'll transform how you deal with anxiety. It'll transform how you deal with all kinds of things. And listen, it's not like a magic potion, like I read God's word, and suddenly there's no fiscal funk. There's no relationship miscues. There's no like anxiety. No, no, no. You're still gonna deal with those things. You're just able to deal with those things with peace and joy and hope and confidence because you know that God is leading you to deal with them differently. Those things are still going to come at you. You're just able to handle it. But here's the thing. Like God doesn't want you to go to his word just to get familiar with all the laws and the decrees and the commands. He doesn't want you to go to the word just so you can fix your finances and your relationships. God wants you to go to his word because that's where he reveals himself. God draws us to his word because he's right there. And you go to his word. This is why it will change you. This is why it'll change your life. Because in his word, you will see his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness. You'll see his heart for you. You'll see his son who hung on a cross and they came out of a tomb so that you could be with him for all eternity. You go to God's word, that's what you're gonna find. You'll see Jesus on every page if you look for him there. And friend, it will change your life. So just 15 minutes a day, and here's my guarantee. You get 15 minutes a day for a season, eventually it ain't gonna be enough. So you gotta start carving out a little more time. And you'll love it. It will transform you. Well, let me, let me close this out with this. This is God's word for us spoken through the book of Proverbs. My child, pay attention to what I say. Listen carefully to my words. Don't lose sight of them. Let them penetrate deep into your heart because they bring life to those who find them. 15 minutes a day, you'll find life. You'll find life. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are the God of light and you're the God of life. You're the author of all creation and you're the author of all the Holy Scriptures. And in it, you reveal yourself. God, you reveal yourself to us through your creation. But God, you also reveal yourself more clearly through your word speaking to us to transform us that we might have life, full life, abundant life, overflowing life, a life of joy and hope and peace, a life of freedom, a life of forgiveness, a life of mercy and grace. And God, we desire that life. And we thank you that you give it to us. So God, help us to be people of your word not just knowledgeable of your word, but letting your word have ownership of us, changing us and transforming us and shaping us and leading us and enlightening us. And God, we pray this, that we might draw more closely to you, that we might realize more and more and more what it is to be your loved sons and daughters, to be your people. So God, make us people of your word. We pray this in Jesus' name.